Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. Our show features our team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. And they'll help you make the most of your money while cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. You'll get clarity on strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. As a longtime foreign correspondent, I've worked in lots of places, but nowhere as important to the world as China. I'm Jane Perlez, former Beijing bureau chief for The New York Times. Join me on my new podcast, Face Off, U.S. versus China where I'll take you behind the scenes in the tumultuous U.S.-China relationship. Find Face Off wherever you get your podcasts. That's fine. My to-be-read list is not big enough. I only have thousands of books on it. <laughs> so 17 more is just a That's drop a crying in the shame. water. We'll have to help you out with that. Hey, readers, I'm Ann Bogle, and this is What Should I Read Next, Episode 72. Welcome to the show that's dedicated to answering the question that plagues every reader. What should I read next? We don't get bossy on this show. What we will do here is give you the information you need to choose your next read. Every week, we'll talk all things books and reading and do a little literary matchmaking with one guest. Today, I'm excited to welcome Madeline Riley to the show. Madeline is a special ed teacher by day, but I happen to know she moonlights as the Instagram artist behind the beautiful account Top Shelf Texts, which has me drooling over pretty book covers on a regular basis. Today, we're chatting about judging books by their covers, finding a reading community online when it's missing in real life, quiet plots with likable characters, and so many mysteries. Let's get to it. Madeline, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, well, it's our pleasure. Where are you sitting this morning? I am in my house in Marblehead, Massachusetts, which is a tiny little town north of Boston, right on the water. How long have you been there? Um, we moved here when I was 10. So I've lived here for a while, except for, you know, periods when I lived in different places for college and graduate school. But I absolutely love living here. And I hope that I get to live here forever. So. <laughs> <laughs> That's a nice place to be. You're a teacher, right? Yes, I am a special education teacher for students with cognitive disabilities. Can you tell us a little bit about what you do in your work? <laughs> yeah, um, it's my first year of teaching. This year, I have four students in my class, which is really fun because we're really small. But it's really fun. I get to do... What I love about special education is that I get to meet them more where they're at, um, and there's a little less pressure for us to be performing in places where we're just not there yet. So my favorite part about teaching this particular group is sharing books with them, because um, not all of them can access really good literature yet, but they love listening to it. So um, I really enjoy reading out loud to them. That's my favorite part of our day. Is that something that's often included in curricula for special education where you are? Or is that something that you've included because it's important to you and you found it really connects with them? I think a little bit of both. My school has a period of the day that's blocked off for read aloud, which is really nice because that doesn't happen everywhere. 
So every day, every classroom gets a book read out loud to them. I think my particular teaching style is really ground in literature. So it's also just the type of strategy that I bring to the room. And at the beginning of the year, the kids were kind of like, okay, you keep telling us that every book you read us is your favorite book ever. <laughs> so we're not really believing you anymore. Like they always laugh at me for, for wanting to share a thousand books with them at once. They know that reading is really important to me. And I think I've seen a shift in a couple of them this year in suddenly realizing, oh, reading is kind of important to me too. And that has been like the most rewarding part of my year so far. What are some of your most single favorite books ever that you shared with them? We read Charlotte's Web in the fall, and we loved that one. They loved Templeton's character uh-huh. and how he would just kind of do what he wanted and run around. And they thought it was hilarious that he loved to eat junk food. <laughs> um, <laughs> I'd forgotten so, that part. Yeah, we really liked it. And then we got to watch the movie, which was really good for them because pairing that kind of auditory learning with visual learning is really important for all of their learning styles. Yeah, watching Charlotte's Web after, they loved it because they got to really see the characters that they had been listening to. What are some other favorites that you're eager to share with your students? I really like, I I wouldn't exactly call it a series, but the Rosie Revere Engineer. yeah books. There is um, Ada Twist Scientist, which is really good. And then there is Iggy Peck Architect. (laughs) And we have read all three of those. And they're all about, you know, kids who were like a little bit different. And they had something they were really interested in. And there's a lot of perseverance in there. So we actually use Rosie Revere as kind of a mindset inspiration throughout the year. We go back to her a lot and talk about how she did hard things, but she kept going at it. And that's how she learned to be better. Nice. Madeline, what are you doing when you're not in the classroom? What's your life like right now, including, of course, your reading life? (laughs) I, well, during the school year, we are pretty busy. So I'm outside of school. I'm usually either exercising, cooking, or reading. Those are my, my three school year activities. (laughs) I have always been a reader, but I think reading has become even more important to me this year, having a job and feeling like, okay, I really need something to maintain. That's my own thing outside of school. So reading is a really important part of my routine. And then I also write a book blog called Top Shelf Text, which is really fun, like a little side project. And that blog has a corresponding Instagram account that I really like. It does, which, yeah. which is also top shelf text, right? Yes, it is. It is at top shelf text. Okay. So I'm looking at your Instagram account right now, and I think I can see a book that we're going to talk about later. So yay. <laughs> yes. Um, yes. Tell us a little bit about, oh, I recognize a book from what should I read next here? The Righteous Mind. Yes. I haven't read it yet. That is where I got that from, from that episode. I actually bought a copy for me and I bought a copy for my boyfriend um, and we're reading it together because we're trying to be a little bit more understanding during the current political atmospheres. It's really interesting. I was a psychology major in college. So I actually have a psychology and neuroscience background. And then I did education in graduate school. So 
reading about the moral psychology is really fun for me. It's kind of like a return to what I know best. That's fun that you all are reading it together because this was on Shaney's episode back in December 2016. And she talked about how she and her husband were reading it together because they didn't always have the same worldview when it came to a lot of current events and they were using it as a big is a good bridge for discussion. So that's really interesting. Okay. I love, let's talk about your Instagram account for a minute. Okay. What came first, the blog or the Instagram? The blog came first. I have been, I started the blog in college. I'm 24 now. So I think I've been writing it for about three years. And it's a long time in blog years. It is kind of a long time. And it's, it was one of those projects where I started it and said to myself, okay, as long as I'm having fun, I'm going to keep doing this. And it's going to be kind of like a no pressure type of project. And I've really enjoyed keeping up with it. I've started to work a little bit more with publishers, which is really, really fun. I like being able to talk about books with other people. I don't have a lot of that in real life. So Mm -hmm. the blog is a way for me to connect with other people. Well, I just think it's a really fun account to look at. I like the occasional pictures of you. Those are fun. And um, yeah, great shots of really good looking books. Thank you. I love love a book. I judge a book, every book by its cover. (laughs) To put them then on the internet to say, look how pretty this book is. That's, That's a big part of why I buy books because they're pretty. So putting them out there for other people to appreciate as well is really fun. I resonate with that. I hear you. I think actually it was some really beautiful editions of old books that got me to finally prioritize reading the old books, like the gorgeous Puffin and Bloom collection. I had never read Little Women or Heidi or, well, I still haven't read A Little Princess, but that's next. Um, And then Puffin and Bloom came out and I needed to buy it to have it for my shelves. And we'll put a link in show notes so everybody can see why people get all swoony over these books by the, uh, they're designed by the rifle paper company people. They're so beautiful. So beautiful. So I hear you on the buying beautiful books. Okay. I think a lot of readers relate to what you said in that they're huge readers and they know there's other huge readers out there, but they don't know them in their actual physical everyday life. So they turn to the internet. So can you tell us about what that looks like for you? Yeah, I, always was a reader since I was a child, a huge reader. And I never, I think when I was in middle school, I had a in real life book club that I absolutely loved with other girls. And it was a good way for us to connect outside of school about something we all had in common, even though maybe we weren't all in the same friend groups at school. But As a reader, I've grown up and always had a book in my hand, but I've never really had a friend who's been the exact same way. So it was important for me to find other people who felt like reading was a really big priority for them. And by writing the blog, I've actually come across people on the internet. And then also people have popped up in my real life who have said, oh, hey, I actually happen to be a huge reader too. And maybe that wasn't something that I knew about them before I started putting it out there, that I was a huge reader. Yeah. So it's it's given me connections both on the internet and in my real life. I hear you. I mean, obviously, you don't have to have a book blog to 
have a great reading life, but I just never dreamed before I started my, not strictly book blog, but we do a lot of books and reading on Modern Mrs. Darcy, just how much fun it was to connect with other readers in that way. Okay, Madeline, you've heard the show. You know how this works. You are going to tell me three more favorites you love that are not Charlotte's Web. (laughs) One book you're not so crazy about and what you've been reading lately, and then we'll talk about what you should read next. Did you have a hard time picking your favorites? You know, I actually told myself to just pick books that have caught my attention in the past year or so. So I didn't give myself that lofty goal of choosing favorites from a span of years because there's just too many. And I know that so many guests have struggled with that. So I just said, okay, let's pick some from the last year. And that made it a little bit easier. And as I was writing down the three books I love, I realized that all three of them came from you. (laughs) So unintentionally, you've already been my book guru for the past year. That's so funny. Okay. Can I take all the credit and none of the blame? Yeah. Is the hate hate from me too? No, it didn't come from you. It didn't come from you. I love your hate. So I thought I should just follow what, yeah, I should just follow what Anne says because when I picked for myself, it didn't work out very well. Well, thank you for that. So now I especially can't wait to hear what you finally landed on. Okay, what's book one? Okay, book one is This Is How It Always Is by Lori Frankel. Oh my gosh, I love this book. Okay, and we actually, we talked about this on the show like way back in October, months before it came out in the episode with Sarah Stewart Holland, but we haven't had a listener, an, a non Anne opinion on the show to talk about it. So I can't wait to hear more. So I found this book because I am a member of the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. And this is our February read. And I had to put it on my list because I think when you had recommended it back in that earlier episode, I thought it sounded interesting, but it wasn't one that I was going to go look for. And that's because I'm not really a contemporary reader. Mm-hmm. I tend to stick to a couple of genres and contemporary fiction is not one of them. So it didn't at first glance look like a book that I was going to be super into. And it's a story about an ordinary family and it could be anyone, like could be your neighbor, could be my family. And it's about how they're sort of navigating this big change in their family dynamic. And kind of, I guess, I mean, would you say it's unintentional? I feel like it unintentionally turns into a secret. I think that's fair. Yeah. So, yeah. So they're, so they're trying to figure out what to do to keep their family happy and safe. And the big themes are kind of like unconditional love and how parents make really big decisions on behalf of their children. And, That's not something that I have experience with because I'm not a parent yet, but I thought that this was a book that was really good to read before I become a parent because it's making me think really hard about those themes and how big of a job it is to be a parent. Okay. So you said you don't really like contemporary or maybe, maybe that you don't often read contemporary, but what is it about this book that made you feel like reading something like fresh and new was worth your while. 
because it hasn't had a chance to stand the test of time and you know it didn't have like scores or reviews where you could hear like oh well if this reader liked it I'll probably like it too what do you think I think that part of it is the fact that it deals with a a childhood issue so as a teacher I spend a lot of my time thinking about childhood and trying to protect the childhoods of my students and worrying about childhood. So that's such a big part of the book is this child who's just trying to grow into themselves and how the adults need to make decisions to, you know, encourage and protect their child. And I think that that's something that I do in my job and I will do as a parent eventually. So it was something that still applies to me, even if it's not a genre that I would normally pick up because I always say, you know, I'm not super interested in like dysfunctional family literature. That's something that I think I see a lot of in contemporary fiction fiction Mm -hmm. that doesn't really draw me in, but this one I wouldn't even call dysfunctional. Like it's just an ordinary family and the parents are really good parents. And that was something that I really liked about it too. You know, there was a present father who really, really cared and the mom and dad worked together really well. So I think that running theme about how to protect a childhood really resonated with me. Okay. I'm glad you enjoyed it. Okay. Madeline, what's book two? Okay. Book two is a little bit different. It is Anne of Green Gables by L.M. Montgomery. And this came to me from you also because you mentioned it all the time. But so many people read this as a child. So was it something that you had heard about through the years or was it totally fresh and new to you? So I, this is a a bad bookworm confession. Oh, we love those here. (laughs) I can have a book for years on my shelf before I read it. That's one of my like worst bookish habits is that I'll buy a book and it can stay on my shelf for as long as necessary before I pick it up. And I owned this book since I was 10 years old. So that was a long wait for it to finally (laughs) get into my hands. But I picked it up because I had seen it on your blog. I had heard about it on the podcast. And then I was hearing about it on Instagram too, from a lot of readers, like this was a book of my childhood. This was a book that made a big difference to me as a child. And because I read a lot of children's literature for pleasure and for my job, I was like, okay, I have to give this one a chance. And I picked it up last May and I absolutely fell in love with it. And now I'm like, oh my gosh, I can't believe I lived so many years of my life without Anne Shirley. Did you actually read the same physical copy that had been on your shelf since you were 10? I did. I did. Okay. Have you added to your collection? Because I have, there's like eight books in the Anne series. Um, yeah. I Well, I have three editions of the first book now because I'm just like, I'm so in love with it. Every time I see it in the store, I'm like, oh, I got to take that home. You know, that's an end for my collection. Well, the past few years have seen a huge number of new and just gorgeous editions of Anne and Green Gables. Like one of them is the Puffin and Bloom, but then there's whole sets of books. Usually it's books one through six, although I found a really cool one that's books one through eight. Um, Yeah, just new, really pretty editions. And then it got a lot of buzz back in the fall, like right around, like I think in November of last year, Audible put 
put out a new edition narrated by Rachel McAdams that's really good and fun. But it did give Anne like another, you know, this book's been around for 100 years. Here's a reason to talk about it again right now. Right. And I actually, so I read it in May. And then in the fall, I listened to the audiobook with Rachel McAdams. And her voice was like magic on there. I thought she did such a good job. So I loved it in both forms. And then I've bought the next three in the series, but I have not gotten to them yet. That can be so that's my, look. yeah, that's my like summer project. I'm gonna have a summer of Anne. I'm gonna read all of the Anne books. <laughs> and I liked it because I'm not a reader who laughs out loud when I'm reading, but I giggled my way through that book and it really <laughs> surprised me. It was really surprising to me how much I loved it. And I loved the language of it and um, the characters, you know, Anne just kind of inspires me. She's headstrong. So, you know, she kind of does and says what she wants. And then she deals with the consequences, whether they're good or bad. And she's really loyal. And the fact that she sees beauty everywhere just really kind of reminds me to look at the world a little bit differently since I've read it. So it, it really has made a pretty profound impact. And then, you know, the fact that she is experiencing this idyllic childhood that is just, I think that's her childhood is something that's kind of been lost that we don't really have anymore. That type of really happy and safe and the priorities were different. And if I could give a Green Gables childhood to every child in my life right now, I would do it in a heartbeat. Okay. So, so far it seems we have, what kind of domestic novels? Is that a coincidence? I, I don't know. I guess, I guess that's a coincidence. I read a lot of novels that are, are not necessarily like that, but, um, yeah, I don't know. That kind of like childhood theme is coming through for me pretty strongly right now. And really likable characters. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if I don't like a character, it's out. Okay, what's book three, Madeline? Okay, book three is actually a series because it's really hard to pick a favorite. And it's the Inspector Gamache series by Louise Penny. Fun. Okay, you know how I feel about these. Yes, and I... I'm a big mystery reader and I was surprised that I had not found them before I heard you talking about them on the podcast. Um, And I actually started reading Still Life, which is the first in the series, last August. And by the time uh, New Year's came around, I had read all 12 in the series. So I feel like that's a really big mark of loving an author when you can read 12 books by one person in six months. Uh, yeah, that's a that's a pretty high standard. Yeah. So she I I love her writing and it's not even I love mysteries, but I feel like, you know, the mystery aspect of this series is kind of secondary to how amazing the characters are and the setting of Three Pines kind of reminds me of Marblehead where I live. It's very small town and community and tradition. And it's on a smaller scale than where I live. But I love seeing that reflection. Mm -hmm. And then I just love the characters like they're real and they're witty. And they are totally unique, I think. And I think that Inspector Gamache is 
probably the most honorable character that I've ever read. Okay, tell us a little bit more because so here's my true bookworm confession. Honorable characters don't sound page turning. When people describe Jane Austen as being about virtue, like I value virtue, but it doesn't make me want to run out and read them. And beautiful writing is often used as a code word for boring, or at least that's what a lot of readers think. So you have to tell us a little more about Kamosh so people don't start yawning. That's true. Beautiful writing is always the word for fancy books. Well, you don't want to use like the nice China. You just want a cheeseburger. Yeah. That's yeah. What beautiful yeah. writing is the China. Right. And usually when I go to pick a mystery, I'm all for cheesy mysteries. I'm fine with that. Um, and I also, I really like Agatha Christie, so I can go on both sides of it. But Gamache is a character that he like has his priorities straight. He knows what he values in life and that's his family and that's justice. And he lives in this world that is so corrupt and he's just trying to like do right by the people in his life and really live by his code. And he's up against some really, really shady, powerful people. And that kind of how she keeps that running through all the books, you know, like there is the mystery for each book, but then in the background, there's a much bigger, scarier problem going on that he's dealing with at the same time. And he just manages to kind of like keep true to himself while he's battling all this stuff. And that's what I love about him. Like he's gentle and he's intelligent and I am totally fine with a mystery that's, a little bit slower when it means that the characters are really well developed. And these are characters that are so well done. That's interesting. I hadn't thought of it like that before, but I think you're right that you have the strong contrast between Gamash, who's one of the good guys and well, either three pines, this quaint, charming Canadian town where a murder has just happened in every other book. So <laughs> you have that contrast or in the very corrupt police organization. And that becomes apparent over the books. Okay, so we have to give our penny disclaimers like we always do. Book one is slow. Uh, in books two and three, the plot lines, like the actual murders, are a little creepy and weird, but not grisly, yeah. just weird. And then I think it hits its stride with book four. I've seen some rumblings from readers how they're thinking that her later books, or what are we on? Are we on book 12 now? Yeah, that a great reckoning was number 12. Okay, that 11 and 12 were becoming a little formulaic. I can kind of see where they're coming from. I don't care. I love these. Madeline, if you did have to choose a favorite book in the series, what would it be? I really liked A Beautiful Mystery. Is that what that one was called? Is that the one at the monastery? It is. I think it's the eighth. I think it's the eighth. And it takes place at a monastery and so it's a little bit more isolated than other books in the series, but I thought that it was just, it was a pivotal moment. I'm not going to say anything more than that because, you know, the characters develop over the course of the book. So you really do, people ask me this and I think you really do need to read them in order because the characters change throughout them and they're, the way that they grow together and grow apart is really important to follow. So that book is really important for one of the characters. And that's kind of where we see a relationship crumble, I guess I would say. And that was, that was a big moment for me 
in seeing how the character relationships have changed. Okay. I think readers are really divided on that book. They either uh, love or hate is kind of strong, but they either say, oh, my favorite of the series, or I could have done without that one. Mine is yeah. the character development that would mean you can't skip it if you're a, right. if you're a penny completist. Well, and it was frustrating. It was frustrating to sit through it because it's characters that you care about and you know can do better, but you have to watch them hit the bottom before before they can move on. So it, it was definitely a hard one to read, but I ended up loving it. I'm glad to hear it. Okay, and that's all we're going to say about that. <laughs> Madeline, what's a book you're not so crazy about? Okay, this one's really hard for me to talk about because... It is The Cuckoo's Calling by Robert Galbraith, who we all know by now is actually J.K. Rowling. Mm -hmm. Um, And it is hard for me to admit that I really did not like this book because J.K. Rowling is my queen of literature. She, I am part of the Harry Potter generation. So, you know, those books came out when I was kind of just starting to develop a really strong reader identity. And they played a really big part in helping me to develop like what I love about books. And so I'm really loyal to her as an author. And I even loved The Casual Vacancy, which people I think went both ways on when that one came out. But I did not like this book one bit. Okay, so what was it about it that made you feel that way? Well, I have to put a disclaimer in that I actually did not finish it. I abandoned it at page 122. I love that you know the exact page number. I went back to check because I thought it was around 100 pages. That's generally my mark for if if I'm not into it and I've done 100 pages, then I'm done. Um, but I was so bored at 100 <laughs> pages. I was so bored. I even put out like a little call for help on Instagram that said, oh my gosh, can somebody tell me if this is going to get better? Because I'm at a hundred pages and I am not into this. And you know, I'm loyal to this author and I have faith, but I'm, my faith is running out. So I put out a, a call and I really didn't get that big of a, of a response to push me through it. So I ended up abandoning it. And I think that Part of why I thought it was so boring was that in the first 100 pages, I did not find a single character that I related to or liked at all. So I was really surprised when I did not read A Casual Vacancy. So The Cuckoo's Calling was the first thing I read by Rowling after Harry Potter. And I didn't expect her to have cookie cutter characters, but I was extremely surprised by how uncookie cutter her detective Corman strike, the detective we followed through the series was. I might have thought Robin could be relatable though, no? I don't think by the time I got to my point where I was done, I didn't I didn't see anything that I, that could help me hang on. <laughs> <laughs> What were you hoping for from a non-Harry Potter J.K. Rowling book? I think that the type of mystery that I really like is something that where it's like kind of like your detective is a little bit tortured, but he's still a good guy. And I think the other part of what 
kind of made me feel like, eh, I'm not sure about this, is that it had to do with celebrity characters. Mm -hmm. And I'm not that interested in reading about, you know, the rich and famous celebrity type characters. So I think that was something that was a little bit hard for me. I'd rather be have it be a murder out in the countryside and something like that. So I think there were just too many pieces that that didn't work. And I was hoping that more of her her style was going to come through because, you know, not only do I love the characters in Harry Potter, but I think that that her writing style is something that I grew up just absolutely loving and, and noticing really closely, like the way that she uses parentheses in her writing, I think is amazing and awesome. And it's super geeky of me to be able to bring up instances of where she used them really well in Harry Potter, but I wasn't seeing that same writing style coming through in this book. So I thought, you know what? I don't like the characters. The writing doesn't feel the same. I'm bored. I just need to let this go. And I had like a huge dilemma about it. I even wrote a blog post about, you know, what do I owe this author? Do I owe it to her to finish this book and try to like it? Or do I just admit that, you can't like everything by one person or you can, but maybe I don't by this one person. Okay. First of all, I can think of zero instances in my memory of parentheses in Harry Potter. So as soon as we're done talking, I'm going to go pull these books off the shelves and check it out. Um, it's always the way she does an aside. Like she'll have Hermione like whisper something and it's in a parentheses. And I always thought that was just added to kind of like the wit of her writing style. I like the sound of that. I'm going to go find it. Okay. So I think these books read and have the same pacing as Louise Penny. However, the characters are not nearly as likable. The good versus evil is not so clear. I'm thinking that's important to you. Also not as relatable because we do have, this is a, it's a celebrity case. Yeah. Like you said. yeah. It's not like it wouldn't be your neighbor or your friend. Yeah. I think that was definitely the, the dividing line between Inspector Gamache and Cormoran Strike was like, I just didn't see the character as someone that I admire. So I wasn't that invested in him. Okay. Okay. Madeline, what are you reading right now? I just finished a book last night, um, The Rivals of Versailles by Sally Christie. I don't know this one. Tell us more. Ooh, it's, it's really good. It's a historical fiction. It's the second in a trilogy. The trilogy is called The Mistresses of Versailles, and the trilogy chronicles all of these mistresses that King Louis XV had in three parts. So um, the third book is coming out at the end of March, and I'm working on a review of that. So I went back to read the second, and it's just so scandalous. The first book starts out, I'd highly recommend it for anybody that likes historical fiction in that time period, because the first book starts out with four sisters who all become mistresses to this one king. It's really well researched. It's incredibly detailed. I really, really like the series. So I just finished that. And then because I was, you know, trying to get over the feelings I had for, for the end <laughs> of that book, I started uh, The Last of August by Brittany Cavallaro. Also a book I don't know. 
That one is also the second in a series. It's the Charlotte Holmes mystery series. Oh, yes. Okay. I do know these. Yeah, it just came out um, last week, I think. So it's so it's pretty new. And it's a YA series. And I am not a YA reader. I don't really like young adult. I don't really like all of the feelings that young adults have in their books. <laughs> um, I'm not into that super mushy stuff. So it was it's unusual for me to find a young adult series that appeals to me. But, you know, I'm a huge mystery fan. I'm a huge Sherlock Holmes fan. So um, this one's the second in the series. And it's, it's good. It definitely, I would say, like, a, a warning for that one is that there is some, you know, drug addiction that comes into play that I'm not super sure I like the idea of young adults reading about and seeing glorified a little bit. So that would be my warning for that, for anybody who is sensitive to that. I also want to throw in that the first book in this series, A Study in Charlotte, you are not the only reader to say, I don't like YA, but I really liked this. Yeah, yeah. It didn't have the same, I mean, it's full of angst and the, you know, the characters have lots of feelings about each other and about being teenagers, but I like how it is creatively kind of mixing up the canon that is Sherlock Holmes. And, you know, I love anything that's a new take on something old. I like reading fractured fairy tales and I like reading new versions of Sherlock Holmes. So it's definitely um, worth checking out if you're a fan of Sherlock. Is there anything you want more of or that you want to be different in your reading life? I think that I'm relatively happy with the way that reading is happening in my life right now. I'm a pretty strict, you know, I'm an INFJ. So I am pretty strict with my routines. And reading is a really big part of my routine where it allows me to recharge from all the time that I have to spend interacting with other people. Um, So I'm pretty happy to have my reading time that I've carved out very strictly in my day. But I think I would love to be in a real life book club because I love our modern Mrs. Darcy book club, but I would also like to have one in real life. Okay. I have ideas for you. And I think we've already talked a little bit about what it is we're looking for. And we will dive in more right after the break. Madeline, welcome back. Thank you. Okay. You ready to talk about your books? Yes. I'm so excited. Okay. Here's what we're looking for. Interesting fiction, relatable characters, and we're going to give you at least one character in every book that you really like, you can relate to, that you want to root for, because I'm getting that's really important to you. Definitely. Okay. Quiet plots are okay. Nobody has to blow anything up or anything like that to keep your attention. <laughs> yes, definitely not. I'm not action oriented. Old is okay. But I feel like Lori Frankel gives us permission to go new also, even though you don't usually read a lot of new fiction. Okay. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. First of all, this is more for the listeners than for you, but have you read The Mothers by Britt Bennett? I have not. Okay. We talked about this in episode 30-something with Anissa Davis. Um, I recommended it to her, and then Annie Jones picked it as a favorite in a later episode. She chose it as a book she was really loving. This was a debut novel. It came out last fall. It's called The Mothers, and the reason I want to bring it up is because it's another quiet kind of novel about secrets done really, really well. So you find out the secret on about page one, but that's not the interesting part. The interesting part is how it 
affects everyone's lives. Like it had a ripple effect, the secret that was kept. And that's all I'm going to say about that. But if you enjoyed, this is how it always is. Uh, your characters aren't quite as like, oh, I want to move into your family. Would you be my mother? Like, it's not at <laughs> all like that, but it's another really interesting domestic novel. Okay. But that's your bonus pick. Since okay. it was, since that was a flight pick for the Modern Mrs. Darcy book club. Our library hold, I think I'm like number 60 or something. Well, it got too much buzz last fall for the library waitlist to be short, I think. It definitely is popular right now. Okay. Book one is The Outlier. So I'm going to blow up your reading list with like 60 mysteries between the two series. Okay. Book one. <laughs> is the contemporary novel. Okay, so what I have in mind for you is Jodi Picoult's latest. It came out in October. It's called Small Great Things. Have you read this or do you know anything about it? I haven't. I read a lot of her books back in high school and really liked them back then, but I have not kept up with her at all. So I actually don't know anything about it. Well, people have big feelings about Jodi Picoult, maybe because intentionally her writing evokes big feelings. And she's mm -hmm. been both praised and criticized for writing novels that do generate a really strong reaction in her readers. And she's been called melodramatic. And this novel, though, has repeatedly been called an outlier, that it just has a little bit different tone for her, even though she's been a best-selling author for like 20 years. Okay, so we're not going to go a lot into plot on this. But I don't want to get in too much into what it is, because I think when you reduce a book to an issue, it becomes like a vehicle for some big campaign. And I don't want to do that to a work of fiction. But I also think this is a book, like I always said, for this is how it always is, just skip the plot summary and just start reading. Because otherwise, I think there's this real danger in calling a book important, because it makes you feel like it makes you feel like it's broccoli. And not an engaging read. And there's a place for broccoli and there's a place for challenging fiction. But I, I don't think it does contemporary fiction any favors necessarily to call a book important, even though I do that all the time. So I don't want to talk about what this book's big themes are. I just want to say that she takes something controversial and is able to make it real to the typical reader. And a lot of people, and I have to agree, are calling it really timely given where we are in America right now with public events. So I haven't given you much to go on, but how does that sound? I trust you. I will try it out. And let me tell you, to give you something to go on besides, it's by Jodi Picoult. It's a controversial issue. Read it. The, the title comes from the quote, if I cannot do great things, I can do small things in a great way, which I thought was kind of cool. Okay. It sounds like it has a moral mission, which I'm into. Right. Me too. But if my librarian handed me a book and said, this book has a moral mission, I'm not sure. <laughs> I might say, well, what else do you have in mind for me today? However, that's nevertheless true. Okay. For book two and three and four and five, what do you know about Deborah Crombie? I have never read Deborah Crombie, though I've heard you mention her as someone you can read while you wait for the next Louise Penny, I think. Have you said that before? I absolutely did to Meredith and I think episode 11. Okay. Here's what I like about this series for you. This series follows two British detectives, and I'm sure it's very important if you actually understand the British police system to know that they're detective inspectors or chief whatevers, and I 
am not so great about that. But it's two British detectives in London. And book one is called A Share in Death. And it took me a little while to get oriented here in the series and to start like caring because the story opened. I'm like, okay, I know people love these books. I know there's bazillions of them, but who's this guy and what's going on and who's going to show up next? So a share in death is a reference to a timeshare. We have a superintendent from Scotland Yard. His name is Duncan Kincaid. You will be seeing a lot of him. He's one of the two main characters in the series. He goes on vacation to some ritzy timeshare that his cousin or something owns who says, you know, take a nice vacation. You could use the break. And of course, somebody turns up electrocuted in the pool, either just, I think it's just after he arrives. So of course things aren't quite as they seem and it's not as straightforward as it first appears, but the detectives on the scene to kind of figure out what happens. And in the course of this investigation, we meet detective Gemma James. And in the course of the series, we have a murder mystery in every book and they are set in and around London, which is kind of fun. Like in uh, some of the latest books I've been Googling, like Deborah Crombie will write about the distinctive gorgeous train station and all the controversy about whatever. And I'll be Googling it to be like, Oh, that is really pretty. Oh, that was a real thing. So that's a little fun thing. These are contemporary murder mysteries set in today's, you know, place and time. I really like these Book 17, I think is coming out winter, winter 2017. I'm not sure of the exact date, but I read it in 24 hours and I got my hands on an early copy. I just really like these books and I think they're great to throw into the rotation of any Louise Penny fan. How does that sound to you? That sounds good. I definitely have been missing Louise Penny since I finished the 12th. So I need something to fill my mystery gap right now. And that sounds really good. Okay, well, continuing filling your mystery gap, I have another series for you. It's by Donna Leon. Book one is called Death at Law Finesse. And readers have been telling me since I first discovered Louise Penny that I needed to read these. And I finally have only read book one, but I believe there's 45. Um, I'll definitely be reading more. I hope if you are a Louise Penny fan and you're listening, um, that you are compelled to read more than one of these and we will read them together. But what I like about these for you is they are similar to Louise Penny in that you're following a police detective who's one of the good guys. So our main character here is Commissario Brunetti. He is employed with the Venice Police Force, which I know has a fancy name, like in Penny is the Surete and it's uh -huh. Scotland Yard in London and I have no idea what it is in Italian. So I like these because as you're reading, Leon's style is to give you little peeks into the interior musings of Commissario Brunetti. And you get his little inner commentary and he focuses very much on people's emotions. Louise Penny likes to point out to you like, oh, Inspector Gamache is a man who's looking for strong feelings because that's where the murder motive lies. Uh -huh. um, Donna Leon is not that obvious about it, but that's definitely what she's doing. And the fact that he's clued into people's emotions, that he's looking for what's going on beneath the surface, that he himself is a man with a family life he cares deeply about, and they do show up in here, like in Death at La Fenice, you have the family play a Monopoly game. So it's, you know, big picture crime, but also very domestic. So you do have likable characters, you do have interesting plots and the murders are not like, there's not a lot of grisliness to the plots. And I'm thinking that if 
Cuckoo's Calling, and that was pretty tame, wasn't for you? Then I want to steer clear of super violent crime on the page. And in book one, we have a very neat and tidy poisoning. Oh, I like poisoning. Which you find out on like page one or page two. So no spoiler there. I'm glad you like poisoning. Well, Agatha Christie. Yeah, it's Agatha Christie. It's that has to do with, you know, I like reading about Mary, Queen of Scots. There was a lot of poisoning back then. And it's less gross than blood. (laughs) (laughs) It is so much less gross. Okay, how does that sound? That sounds really good. I'm definitely I've never heard of it before, but I'm gonna look it up. All right. Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Madeline, of those, we'll say three and not like 70, of those three <laughs> books, what do you think you'll read next? I think I am going to start with a Deborah Crombie. I've been doing a lot of reading outside of British literature lately, so I think I'll go back into that and then I'll pick up the others. You've earned the right to circle back to the UK. Yeah, yeah, I've been waiting for so long since I finished my last Louise Penny. (laughs) Well, I can't wait to hear what you think. Thanks for talking books with me today. Thank you for having me. Hey, readers, I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Madeline today. Head to the podcast site to share your recommendations for Madeline and to let her know there what you thought of my recommendations. That page is at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash 72, and it's also where you'll find the full list of titles we talked about today. If you are on Twitter, let me know there at Ann Vogel. That is Ann with an E, B as in books, O-G-E-L. Tag us on Instagram to share what you are reading. You can find me there at Ann Bogle and at What Should I Read Next. To be the first to hear about upcoming guests and more fun behind the scenes What Should I Read Next news, make sure you're getting our newsletter. Sign up at whatshouldireadnextpodcast.com slash newsletter. Readers, that's it for this episode. Thanks so much for listening. And as Reiner Maria Rilke said, Ah, how good it is to be among people who are reading. Happy reading, everyone. Have you ever wondered how inbred the Habsburgs really were? What women in the past used for birth control? Or what Queen Victoria's nine children got up to? On the History Tea Time podcast, I profile remarkable queens and LGBTQ plus royals, explore royal family trees, and delve into women's medical history and other fascinating topics. Join me every Tuesday for History Tea Time, wherever fine podcasts are enjoyed. Have you ever wished that you had a direct line to your pediatrician to ask all the questions that constantly crop up while parenting? We sure have. That's why we launched the Bites of Health podcast. Every morning, we'll answer a commonly asked pediatric question in five minutes or less. You can tune in while you're making your second cup of coffee or from the school drop-off line. So be sure to tune in to Bites of Health, streaming now.